Now, would you please open to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. The book of Acts being a historic narrative uh, gives us the opportunity as we exposit scripture to kind of learn about the Lord in a number of different ways. Today we get introduced to a person, Timothy, and what we're able to do then is look through Scripture and learn about this young man and learn what some of the lessons are that can be applicable to our own lives. So whereas this particular passage of Scripture maybe isn't so much Here's what I want you to do. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Also, it's not strictly an evangelistic passage of Scripture that uh, specifically presents the gospel and calls people to faith. We do get a look at a relationship. And we can learn a lot from that. I think there are things we can all learn for our lives when we consider the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with Timothy, a father-son-like relationship, a teacher and student-like relationship, a master and apprentice-like relationship, and one that produced the fruitfulness of the apprentice becoming, if you would, a master himself. I like to point out up front that that's what we're doing because when you start to talk about people as they're presented in scripture, what we have to do is remind ourselves that fundamentally the Bible is about a person, right? The Bible is about our God. The Bible all points to the person of Jesus Christ, who is God, who became flesh and then brought us salvation, right? When he died for our sins and rose from the dead. This relationship between Paul and Timothy was the work of Jesus. Do you understand? So when we read about this, while you'll hear me talk about Paul and you'll hear me talk about Timothy, what you need to keep on the forefront, the, the, the major part of your mind and your thinking is that this is the work of Jesus in two of his disciples, one named Paul and one named Timothy. Okay? So we read about this relationship, which is the work of Jesus. Yes? Let us pray. As we study your word now, Lord God, we thank you for it. We know it's true. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to understand the things that are before us today. And we pray that you would use these things, Lord, to, to bring about just a good bit of discipleship in the lives of each one of us, Lord, who are your disciples also. We know to become your disciple is not anything that we just casually take on ourselves. It is you who have done the mighty spiritual, supernatural work in us to bring us to yourself. 
through the preaching of the gospel. And when we believed, you worked in us mightily and we passed from death to life. We were reborn. And so we pray, Lord God, that we who are your children through faith in Jesus, your son, that we, Lord, would be edified here today and learn things that are useful for our own walk with you, that we might be fully pleasing to you in these lives that you have left us with here. We are free. We are completely free from the law and its curse. And now you have set us free to serve you and to glorify you. Build us through the teaching of your word that we might do that fully for your glory. That I pray for myself, for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here, and for anyone who may be watching this from afar. And I ask it for your glory and for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along as I read just for today, verses 1 through 5 of Acts chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and increased in number daily. All right. So, let's just make some observations about Timothy as we go through this passage of Scripture, like I said. So we're told that this is in the aftermath of what? The, the, the parting of ways of Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, who had come down from Jerusalem with him, and they went through the towns on Asia Minor. All of this is part of uh, the, the plan that they had to go back through all of the towns that they had gone through on their first missionary trip to see how the churches were doing and to deliver to them the letter that had been drafted, as you read in Acts chapter 15, as he makes, as is made reference to in this passage of Scripture here. So Paul and Silas end up staying on the mainland, if you will, and coming to Derbe and Lystra. These are kind of like two twin cities right next to each other. You can sort of almost think of them as one, Derbe and Lystra. And, uh, and they come into this city, and they come across a certain disciple whose name is Timothy. Now, Timothy, we know at this point, is a believer because he's called a disciple, right? And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a word that you can very closely associate with the word student. You can obviously see that it is a form of the word discipline. And so a disciple is someone who 
patterns his life after the by by, by discipline the the, the study of, of the teaching and example of somebody else. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who listens to the teaching and follows the example of a mentor, if you will. And of course, when it says here that he's a disciple, he's a disciple of who? Not Paul, not any man. The, the, ref, the general reference to being a disciple is a reference to the fact that he's a disciple of Jesus. And that's what we all are, to an extent, right? And so right there is maybe your kind of first thing to take away from it. I don't know when the last time it was that you stopped to consider yourself a disciple, but we are all to listen to the teaching of Jesus, and we are all to look at the example of Jesus and our lives, that our redeemed lives ought to be patterned after that. Christ's teaching and Christ's example. I would submit to you that that's what the Great Commission is. Right? The Great Commission isn't just to go and preach the gospel and get people to be saved. That's only a part of it. The Great Commission is to make disciples. Jesus declares that all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And, and, and based on that authority he has, he says, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. And how are disciples made? Exactly how I just said. He said, teaching them to, uh, well, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's a reference to the evangelistic activity of preaching the gospel and then baptizing those who believe. That's like the entryway into being a disciple. And then after that, what? Teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. Right? And Jesus' commands come both through his words and through the example of his life. As John wrote later, if we say that we're his, we ought to walk just as he walked. So that is essentially what the Great Commission is, is to make disciples. And Timothy was one of them. Timothy was a disciple. And guess whose eye that caught? Paul's, right? Paul and Silas, they come into Derbe and were introduced to this certain disciple who's named Timothy. Now, there's a number of reasons why... And this is the first thing I want to observe about Timothy. And I'm so glad that we have so many young people with us today, even some young visitors with us today. I mean, awesome timing of God. Listen, listen, everyone should listen to this, but especially you younger folks. Timothy was young, right? And the fact that Timothy, the first thing you're told about Timothy is that you're identified not with a wife or not with children or not with a trade. He's identified with his mom. Right? So the fact that Timothy is identified with his mother would indicate that he's still a young man. And I would also submit to you that later, in, uh, in, when Paul writes to Timothy, and I'm going to be quoting a few passages of Scripture from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, of course. Uh, when Paul writes in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verses 12 through 14, he says to Timothy, what? Famously, let no one despise your youth. And at that point, some years had passed by, and, and Timothy was certainly a, a full-grown man, you know, at that point, but probably still relatively young compared to some of the people in the congregation that he was serving in Ephesus at the time. And so maybe it would be that some people would be resentful to be listening to preaching and teaching and to submit to the authority of someone so young. And so Paul writes to him and says, don't let anyone despise your youth. Listen, God's with you. God chose you. God raised you up. 
This, you're doing exactly what God has gifted you to do. Don't let anyone despise your youth. That's not just a, that, that command to not let anyone despise your youth. Listen, young people. And listen, everybody, really. But that command is not just like a defense mechanism. It's not a license to resent other people back. You resent me because I'm young. I resent you because Paul said not to let anyone despise my youth. No, the way, the way to not have anyone despise your youth is through how you act. Listen, young people, the way for people to, the way to, as a Christian, start with this. As a Christian, the testimony of your life matters. All of us, that's true for, but especially young people. You trust in Christ, you do well. You trust in Christ, that is eternal salvation. Hallelujah. But now how you live your life ought to matter. Because the testimony of your life sends a message. Whether you want it to or not. It sends a message to everyone around you about everything that you are. How you act, how you speak, shines light on everything that you profess and everything that you hold near and dear. Do you understand what I just said? And so when Paul says to Timothy, and we're making this first observation that Timothy was a young man. Later on, when Paul writes to Timothy and says, let no one despise your youth, here's what he says right after that. Let, this is 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth, but, ready? Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, Impurity. How's that for a list? Given to a young man whose ministry it was to be a pastor, a shepherd, an elder over others in the church. To say nothing of the example of what all of us as Christians are, especially you young folks, to everybody in the world around you. Some of you young folks are high school students, maybe a little younger. Most of our younger ones are go downstairs during this time. But some of you are in high, some of you are in college. Some of you are post college age, and you're working, but you're still young, and you're here in church on Sunday. And I believe you're here in church on Sunday because you believe the gospel. I believe you're here today because you know that the salvation of God is what you need and what everyone needs. And you know that everyone else in your life needs it. Your fellow students need it. Your co-workers need it. The other people in your family need it. You profess to believe it. Don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't let anyone look down at you and say... Young fool. Young person, you still have so much you need to learn. 
young man, young woman, you think I can possibly learn anything from you. Let no one do that. That's not... And, and listen, your responsibility is not to say back to them, the Bible says not to despise my youth. No. That's... Let no one despise your youth isn't some talking point. Let no one despise your youth is a command that you respond to with how you live. You follow? Your words. How you speak. Don't speak in such a way that people can say, foolish young person. In conduct, don't act in such a way that people can say, foolish young person. In love, all of the antithetical concepts to love, and they are myriad, don't walk in those things. Let your love be sincere and real so that people can't say to you, foolish young person. In spirit, which isn't the Holy Spirit, but a reference to the inner workings of man. In spirit, be an example. In faith, your faith is sincere and real. In purity, don't live an impure life so that people can look at you and say, foolish young person. Because if they can look at you and say, foolish young person, what is attached to that? Because you're here and part of this. The gospel. Right? This is not intended to heap burdens on you. We all fail. I fail. I sin. I struggle. I, your pastor, battle with things in the flesh and the mind and the spirit and all these things. So this is not to heap burden on you. At the end of the day... We are recipients of grace through faith. And we can always trust and rely completely upon that grace. But may I say to you that the call from the one who saves us and keeps us by that grace, especially you young folks, is don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example. Be an example, right? Okay? You follow that? So that's kind of the first thing right off the bat that I want to see about Timothy. Listen, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I fail with this all the time. Well, first of all, join the club. But second of all, listen, pray, trust, strive, apply your diligence that God gives you. Pray for strength and guidance and wisdom that you might grow. And remember, look, if you're a young person and you're a Christian, well, first of all, any Christian is a person of high privilege. Yes? I mean, what is this? Just a hobby for us? Is this just some religion, something we do? We think we're, we come to church because we're trying to please God? No. We're privileged. And if you're a young person and you're in Christ... You're privileged to be someone who bears his name to the world. Don't let anyone despise your youth because you don't act right. You've made mistakes. Repent. 
confess your sins to the Lord. And what does the scripture promise? He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I, I, I should, I, you're being respectful by listening, but hopefully inside there's a really loud, thank you, Jesus, going on. Right? Amen? Get back up and get moving, young person, and all of us. A couple other things about Timothy being young. Timothy is one of a number of young people in the Bible who God used. And everyone knows, of course, the Ecclesiastes verse, right? That says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, right? That's one of the ways that that book concludes after describing chapter after chapter all the vanities of life. One One of the few things that you can do that means anything in life is that when you're young, remember God. Remember God. Don't walk through life forgetting God. You know the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is valuable for all of us, but Proverbs primarily is a book that is addressed from a father to a son. Right? So, while it's wisdom for all of us, it is especially like the parental wisdom of God for young people. You remember King Josiah in the Old Testament? He became king when he was eight, and while he was still a teenager, eight. How old is, is, is Juliana? 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 How old? She's going to be eight in September. Right? So you had an eight-year-old in front of you. King Josiah was eight. I was, believe it or not, I was eight once. Now, I, now I'm eight all the time because people say, where did that go? Oh, he ate it. So, good. Thank, thank, thank you for that. Right? So, King Josiah was eight by the time he was a teenager. Listen, he had cleansed Israel of all of its idolatry. He had ground idolatrous statues that infected the land. He had ground them to powder and and spread them over the graves of the false priests. We read about Mark last week, right? Mark was a young man. Mark went on a missionary trip, turned back from it, but ended up being useful and profitable. He rebounded from something that was bad and became something very useful and glorious to the Lord. David was very young when, when, when he fought with Goliath. David was very young when Samuel anointed a king. David was very young when God chose him to be king and had Samuel anoint him. Jesus was 12 when he was in the temple confounding all the religious doctors, right? And may I point out to you that... Maybe by, maybe by like most standards of life, 33 years old is not considered young. But 33 is pretty young to me. Look, remember what Jesus did and was when he was 33 years old, right? From the time he was 30 years old to the time he was 33 years old. Wow. That's, that, that seems like a pretty young man to me. So you're young Timothy, in this passage of Scripture, as a young man, it says he's the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed 
but his father was Greek. I'll come back and make a comment about that in a minute. But it says that he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Lystra and Derbe are like twin cities, kind of. But Lystra and Iconium are cities that are separate. So Timothy as a young man, Timothy as a young man had a reputation as being a faithful believer. If you're here and you're young, do you want that? May I suggest to you that you should. That's what you should long for. I'd love to have, I, you know, I don't care what the world thinks about this. I, mean, I don't care what the world thinks about, you know, the, like my appearance or my accomplishments or whatever. All that is dung anyway, right? That's what Paul said about all of his own achievements. But I, but, but, but I would really love to have a reputation among my brethren that I'm a faithful brother, someone they can trust, someone they know who truly loves Jesus. Timothy, as a young man, had a reputation in multiple churches as a faithful disciple, as a young man, right? A reputation isn't done... Reputations in the modern world are cheaply come by. We use social media, we market, we advertise and all that stuff. But listen, a real, a real spiritual reputation is given by God... It comes by faithfulness. It comes by enduring hardships. It comes by increasing in the knowledge of God. It comes by service. I mean, Jesus said that, right? I mean, did not Jesus teach that the the path to, like, being great is to lower yourself and be a servant, right? So that's how that comes. That's the kind of man Timothy must have been. That he had this reputation. How about, how about this next statement that comes up? Verse 3. Paul wanted. Stop there. Now, you saw how Paul was when with Mark. Right? He turned away. He's not coming with us. You saw how Paul was with the Judaizers. You try to add one tiny little thing to this gospel. Anathema. You saw how Paul was with Peter when Peter came and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. I had to rebuke him to his face. Right? You saw how Paul was when they were in the one town when they tried to worship him and and Barnabas because the miracle had been done. They tore their clothes. No, no, we're men just like... Paul was no joke. Again, talking about a man, Paul was the work of Jesus. We know that, right? But just looking at the example that's given in Scripture. Paul was no joker. Paul didn't fool around. Paul wanted Timothy. You see? That that says something about where Timothy was as a young disciple. The Apostle Paul rolls into town and is like, I want that one to come with me. Yeah. Amen? I say this to you not just to give you a history lesson, though the history lesson's interesting, I think. But I say this to you because I want you to look at this and realize that the Timothys of the world, it's not, it's not something that you should view as, like, unattainable. Like, you're not... We're not all Timothys. We're certainly not all Pauls. 
and we're not all Timothys. And, and we're not to try to just copy other people or we're certainly called to not compare ourselves among ourselves, right? But we are called to look to godly examples and follow them more than one time in the New Testament. And so what this ought to do for you is to read this and realize, you know what? My own discipleship is something I need to take a little more seriously. My own discipleship is something that I need to put a little more into. God's given me every spiritual resource, even everything I need for tearing down strongholds. Maybe I ought to put a little more into my prayer. Maybe I ought to put a little more into my study of Scripture. Maybe I ought to put a little more effort into trying to pray for and reach out to the lost people in my life. I should put, maybe I should put a little more effort into participating in the life of the church. Maybe I should reprioritize things a little bit so my discipleship in this life is like really the number one thing in my life. Because in the end, that's what's going to matter. And you've been warned again and again and again, and I have been warned again and again and again about that. All right, that's, that's what I kind of see here. Paul wanted him, man. You know, later when Paul writes to him, another thing that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, he said, right in the beginning of the book, he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, ready? A true son in the faith. I mean, Paul met this guy, wanted to become, and then eventually, all these years later, when he finally writes these letters to him, he views him as a son. And he, it, that's not the only place he said it. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he said the same thing. He, he referred to Timothy as his son in the faith. Yeah, that's, that's how we want to grow. That's how we want to grow in the faith. It was a great and special blessing that Timothy had Paul. Can you imagine being discipled by Paul? All of us need to be discipled. A huge part of your discipleship is what we're doing right now. Getting together and preaching and teaching from God's word. But it ought to go beyond that. And you know, if you're someone who wants to be discipled, you ought to step forward and come to me or someone in a position like mine or an esteemed, mature, fruitful brother or sister in the faith and say, I want to learn more. I want to grow more. I want my life to become patterned after Jesus. Discipleship can be one-on-one. -on -one. Discipleship can be in a group. Discipleship can be carefully listening to good teaching of the Word of God. Real discipleship, I think, incorporates bits of all of it. But you should step forward. You should seek it. You should pray. Ask the Lord, I want to grow. Come talk to your pastor. Talk, talk to a leader. Talk to someone. I want to grow more. That father-son relationship between Paul and Timothy is beautiful. It's powerful. And above all, 
It was fruitful because it was brought on by Jesus himself. Amen? Yes, thank you, God. Now, in the second half of verse 3, there is, if we can stop, on the, stop from the example of Timothy for a moment and point this out. Does it not maybe strike you as a little, at least, interesting or you noticed at least that coming out of chapter 15, which was all about don't need to circumcise the disciples in order to be saved. It's all about God's grace. It is just faith. The only righteousness that God accepts is the righteousness of faith. That's it. There's no works. There's no religion, no religious act, no sacrament, no ceremony, nothing that I can bring before the Lord to say, yep, I'm his. I believe the gospel and that's it. And then coming right out of that chapter, you come into chapter 16 and Paul takes Timothy and does what? Circumcises him. Right? And you might be left to be think to yourself, why? We just went through all of this. Why you don't need to circumcise him. And then the first thing you read Paul doing is he takes Timothy and circumcises him. So this, this bears a word of explanation, right? It's, it's the reason why he circumcised him that that makes it so important. We're told earlier that Timothy had a mother who was Jewish and they had a father who was Greek, right? And uh, we're told that Timothy's mother, her name was uh, Eunice, by the way. Second Timothy tells us that her name was Eunice and that her, her grandmother's name was Lois. They're both mentioned by name in Second Timothy. And we're told that they're believers. It's not mentioned that Timothy's father was a believer, which I think you could at least safely conclude at the time that this was written, he was not. All right? Maybe later on he came to it. But at this point, he's not. So Timothy is the son of a Jewish mother who believes the gospel and a Greek man who doesn't, most likely. Now... Because Timothy was born to a Greek father, his Greek father, not being Jewish, did not have him circumcised when he was born. We know that he wasn't circumcised because Paul circumcised him, right? So he had not been circumcised. This would have been an offense before any gospel preaching came along before any of them heard of Jesus, before any of them became familiar with the New Covenant, it was probably an offense among the Jewish side of the family, as well as any Jews that maybe they grew up with. I mean, we know that Timothy grew up in a house where he was taught the Scriptures, because Paul acknowledges that in 2 Timothy as well, that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. But Timothy had not been circumcised. And so the accusation, listen, this, you got to understand this. The accusation against Paul was that he was trying to destroy Judaism. And he was trying to destroy the law of Moses. And he was trying to destroy all of the traditions of the Jews. This whole business of the Gentiles believe they've received the Holy Spirit and they're saved. They don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. That was taken by the Jews as he's just trying to destroy Judaism now. Right? Now, 
as far as a way to save someone, the old covenant was indeed nullified. Not that the old covenant ever could save anybody. The purpose of the law always was to bring someone to the knowledge of their sin, the conviction of sin. Justification was always by faith, even before there was an old covenant. Abraham believed God, and he was, it was credited to him as righteousness. And of course, when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil ripped in half miraculously. That was, that was a pretty good sign that like, that was the end of the, the viability of all of that, right? However, Paul was not going around just trying to destroy Judaism and replace it with another religion. So to avoid what could have been a stumbling block for the gospel itself... Paul goes from city to city and he goes into the synagogues and he preaches Christ. And now he wants to take Timothy with him to go and do that. And it's known that Timothy is not circumcised. It's known because his father is Greek. He grew up in the synagogue learning the scriptures, but his father is Greek, but he never, they never got him circumcised when he was young. So Paul, to make sure that this would not be an offense to the Jewish people that he was trying to preach the gospel to. Not because Timothy needed to be circumcised. He did not. He did not. You understand that, right? He didn't need to be circumcised. He was already a disciple and he's not circumcised yet. There's proof right there, right? But so it would not be a stumbling block between him and the Jews when he tried to take Timothy into the synagogue with him, especially in places where he was known. He took Timothy and he circumcised him. What the motivation for that was, was love. That was love. It was motivated by love for the Jewish people that he was going to try to preach the gospel to. Do you follow that? He did not circumcise Timothy because he thought Timothy had to be circumcised in order to be saved. He circumcised Timothy because he had love for his own people and he did not want to be a stumbling block between him and them for the sake of the gospel. You get it? You get the difference, right? It's critical. Okay. Now, back to Timothy. One more important point I think I want to make about Timothy. So the scripture goes on and it says, well, you see what it says. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. You get it? They knew his father was Greek and therefore they knew he had not been circumcised as a baby. And so nobody could say, aha, see, look who he's taking with him. The uncircumcised, nope, you're going to circumcise him. Right? Knocks that objection out of the water. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep. What were those? Well, I won't read it for you now, but if you look back in chapter 15, that's that letter. Right? They were armed with that letter that had been produced when they went to Jerusalem. It occupies verses 23 through 29 in chapter 15. And they took that letter and they went to all the cities to say what? They don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Just keep these few things that would be offensive to the Jewish people. Don't don't eat things that have been offered to idols. Don't eat things that have been strangled. Keep yourself from sexual immorality. Keep yourself from blood. Keep yourself from these things that would be an offense, but they don't need to be circumcised to be saved. They took those decrees 
from church to church to church in Gentile land. And guess what the result of that was? The churches were strengthened in the faith. That's number one. You would expect that, right? They had believed the gospel that said you don't need to be circumcised, right? They had believed the gospel that said just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And God himself confirmed that by giving them the Holy Spirit and having miraculous works done among them. Then the controversy arose. So they went to Jerusalem and came back from Jerusalem with this letter that said, we were right. What effect do you think that had on people who believed the gospel? Yeah! Amen! Strong! They were stronger. And because they got stronger, guess what they did? They went out and started spreading the news with confidence and boldness to more and more people all over the region, which is what you and I should be doing. When our faith is strengthened, it ought to embolden us to go out and go after people. That's our mission. Go bring them in. Go invite somebody to come to church. Go tell someone. Stop. Stop with all the excuses. Stop with all the competing reasons. Put everything aside and start being a Christian. Just start. Stop with all the worldliness and start. With, go out, get some people, invite them in to hear, to hear, to hear. Because how are they going to get saved if they don't hear? Go and bring them in. Or, 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 or even better yet, go and just tell them yourself of Christ. And invite them in to hear. That's what they did. They received the decrees. And the decrees confirmed that what they had been taught was right. And they were like, yes. They were like, Amen. And then they went and they reached a whole bunch of other people. And it says, it says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Every day people were getting saved because they were emboldened in the faith. That's how you and I need to be as well. Now, one more last thing I want to say about Timothy Sort of an epilogue to, Timot to, the, to the study of Timothy, okay? Timothy goes on, and we'll read about him a lot in the upcoming chapters. He seems from this point to be with Paul almost everywhere. And when you read the other letters that Paul wrote from the New Testament, many of them make reference to Timothy, and, of course, he wrote two letters to Timothy. I've already quoted a few times from 1 Timothy. I, can, I, can I say to you, the responsibility that Timothy had, that letter, 1 Timothy, that I just quoted a few things from, young Timothy, who's in the position of elder over the church at Ephesus, he's told to protect doctrine, He's told about the primacy of prayer and how important that is. He's told about order among men and women in the churches. Still controversial today, but still clear as a whistle in that letter. The roles of men and women in the church. He's told about the qualifications of overseers or other elders, pastors, and deacons. He's warned about a last day's apostasy. He's taught about relationships between the old and the young and proper care for widows. He's talked about doing justice among, doing justice for the poor and even among elders. 
He's told to teach and order the steps of bond servants, as many people who even live their lives as slaves. He's told to give warnings and instructions to the rich. He's told to be an example by his conduct. And he's told, above all, to guard the sanctity and purity of the truth. That's a lot of responsibility. Then you read 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is different. 2 Timothy is much more personal. It's not different in any doctrine. But 2 Timothy is written, you ready? I've said this before, but I want you to be reminded of it. 2 Timothy is written to Timothy when he's having a hard time. Timothy is a great guy to identify with. Good character study in the Bible. Again, it's about Jesus. Jesus at work in Paul. Jesus at work in Timothy. Jesus at work in you and I. Amen? Amen. However, when Paul writes to Timothy the second time, Timothy's struggling. And just listen to a couple of, two passages in 2 Timothy. First, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, almost the opening of the letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, And I've read this to you many times, but just listen again. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. This is Paul to Timothy. Late in the game, Timothy's a seasoned, still young, but he's a seasoned, experienced minister at this point. Paul says, I'm greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears. There's the indication that Timothy is struggling because Paul's in prison, right? This is a hard time. That I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That's Paul's way of saying, you have this gift to minister, to preach, to teach God's word. And and I know it because I personally laid hands on you and symbolically, if you will, made you the elder over this church in Ephesus. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's what the tears and the fear and, the, and, the, and the, the struggle was. He was starting to feel like, maybe I made a mistake here, Timothy was. So Paul's like, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, right? Maybe the fact that Paul was in prison, who Timothy had devoted, you know, so much time to ministering alongside. The fact that Paul was in prison was making Timothy struggle. Maybe he was getting a hard time from people. And so he was tearful. He was fearful. He says, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't that awesome? But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, the work to save us, the saving of our souls was like done in the mind of God before we even existed. But then it came about when Jesus came and died for our sins 
And then we heard the gospel and we believed. All the work of God, of Christ Jesus, he says, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. He had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, continued to do so, and that had caused great suffering in his life. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Timothy was struggling, and Timothy needed to be encouraged. And so Paul wrote to him to encourage him. Remember your gift. Stir it up. Use it. Don't let the distraction, don't let the discouragement overcome you. Jesus saved us. He will deliver us. It was all done in in God's mind before any of it even happened. Stay faithful. Stay strong. It's an encouragement to you young folks. Don't let the world, don't let mockery, don't let alienation, don't let anything that the world might say or do to you pull you back from your faithfulness to Christ. He will deliver you. He is faithful to keep everything you've committed to him until the day that Jesus comes. And when that day comes, boy, oh boy, are you going to rejoice and be glad that you stayed faithful? You understand? Timothy struggled, but stay faithful. I had another passage I was going to read, but I think that's a good place to leave it. So what do we learn today? We kind of learned, we learned two things about Timothy that Jesus had done. And, and kind of sandwiched in the middle of that was the understanding of why Paul circumcised him. So we got a little dose of that again as well. But what did we learn about Timothy? Number one, he was young. What are you waiting for? Even if you're not young, what are you waiting for? Devote yourself to your discipleship. You want to grow more? Listen, you should be in church. You should be listening. You should be serving. You should be inviting people. You should be active servants of the Lord. You feel like you need more? You want to grow more? Step forth and say so. And come. You don't see everything that happens in the life of this church. There's people that are part of our church that I myself have had the privilege of getting alone with for months and reading scripture and teaching things. And they've grown and they've become strong people in the Lord. I've seen my wife do it with younger ladies. I've seen, I've seen other people in this church do it with other people in this church. Discipleship is very much about this, what you're doing right now. But if it needs to be more, step forth and say so. The purpose of the ministry of this church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you desire it? Do you desire it? Secondly, though Timothy was young, he was faithful, but he struggled. And he needed to be encouraged. And so I want you today to be encouraged. God is faithful and God will deliver you. God will keep all of his promises that he has made in Christ from before, from when before time began. Stay faithful and stay at it. There's so much more that we could say about Timothy, but that's where I'm going to end it today. Let's pray. 
And can I help have those who are going to help me with the last hymn come on up here, okay?